This is John Shannon with Radio Free Galisteo. Today I'm speaking with Chip Conley, who is, what is your title exactly? Are you CEO of the Modern Elder Academy? or I am the founder and CEO of Modern Elder Academy. Okay. And the reason we have Chip on today is because he and the Modern Elder Academy are, are actually new neighbors to, uh, to all of us here in Galisteo. And uh, Chip uh, and the Modern Elder Academy are in the process of becoming full-time neighbors. Yes. But before we talk about that, let's talk about Chip a little bit and find out about you and where you came from and why you do what you do. So I, uh, I grew up in Southern California in a place called Long Beach, and I went to junior high school and high school in the inner city. So uh, Snoop Dogg's, uh, I went to Snoop Dogg's high school, if you know Snoop Dogg. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they called me the Curious White Boy uh, because I was predominantly in a non, uh, it was a predominantly a multicultural school, and I loved it. I loved it. It made me culturally curious. Um, and then went up to Northern California for college and graduate school. And a couple years later, started a boutique hotel company. And I wanted to do something that was, I felt like hotels were really boring, generally. And this was the mid-1980s, and boutique hotels were just getting off the ground. So I bought a pay-by-the-hour motel Mm -hmm. in the Tenderloin of San Francisco, and I called it the Phoenix. And 35 years later, it's still there, and it's a rock and roll hotel. It sort of became the rock and roll hotel of San Francisco. And over the course of the next 24 years, Joie de Vivre, which is the name of my company, created 52 boutique hotels around California, most of them in Northern California. And um, yeah, that's what I did. And I, I did it until I, I loved it until I hated it. And it was sort of like, like there was no dimmer switch on this one. It was like, I, I, I love hospitality. I love taking care of people. And yet at some point you burn out on it. And after going through the, the dot-com bust and 9-11 and then having the Great Recession, I was, I was ready to move on to something else. And so I sold the company. And long story short is I got tapped on the shoulders by the three young founders of Airbnb, who at that time had a small tech startup that was growing quite quickly, but they didn't have any background in hospitality or travel or, frankly, running a business. And so they brought me in as their modern elder, which, mm. was, which was not, that was a word, that was a term that actually came to be used a few months in. Um, they didn't hire me as the modern elder. There was no uh, job description for a modern elder. But what they said a few months in is, Chip, um, we realized we hired you for your knowledge, but what we really got was your wisdom. And what we appreciate is the fact that you're as curious as you are wise. And so I, that's when I first started thinking about the fact that, you know, in my mid-50s, around a company where the average age was 26, you know, maybe we got to figure out how to be a little bit more uh, intentional about intergenerational collaboration. And that's, in many ways, how MEA, Modern Elder Academy, came to, take, came to be. And again, speaking about those kind of dot-com and those, uh, those newish businesses that are primarily online, I guess ageism really becomes <laughs> an issue, right? Yeah, you know, it's interesting. I had never experienced ageism. First of all, I started my hotel company when I was 26. So the only ageism I experienced was like, hey, Sonny, you're too too young to be doing this. But when I was in my early 50s, I could see in the tech world, not having had any experience in a tech company, where ageism happens. And it happens typically, sometimes it's deserved because a person like is just so stuck in their ways, they're not willing to change. But often it's not deserved. And where it comes from is this sense of make room for 
us we know better were the young people. And and I what I appreciated at Airbnb was I was the mentor to the three founders and still am, but I was learning as much from them as they were from me. Mm-hmm. So it was called, we called it mutual mentorship. And um, I also called myself a mentor, a mentor and an intern at the same time. I think we're living longer as a society. Power is moving younger in a digital society. And the world is changing faster. And those three variables of people living longer, power moving younger, a lot of people in midlife feeling like, man, I, don't, I can't get a job mm. um, because it's all going to the younger people. Um, that, as long as the world changing faster, has a lot of people bewildered and feeling irrelevant. And that's really why I decided to write a book called, it's my fifth book, it's called Wisdom at Work, The Making of a Modern Elder. And in the writing of that book down in Baja, Baja, California, where I have a home on the beach, that's when I came up with the idea of the world's first midlife wisdom school uh, called Modern Elder Academy. So Modern Elder Academy is for folks who are, or were like you in that, hey, I've done X, Y, and Z. What's next? This isn't, uh, I'm at midlife, I need a Ferrari, a new girlfriend, or a new boyfriend, right? (laughs) Well, it could be someone in a midlife crisis. I mean, the idea of going into midlife and sort of getting lost, or as Brené Brown, the famous sociologist, said, it's the midlife unravel. I'm not, you know, so it's trying to unravel where you've been. So yeah, the people who come to MEA, we have 1,500 alumni now from 28 countries. And what brings them to MEA? Uh, well, sometimes it's like they're going through some kind of transition in midlife, career change, divorce, empty nest, menopause, etc. And they're a little bit confused by it all. There's no, we don't actually have any kind of schools or tools or rites of passage or, or rituals for people in midlife. Average age of the people who come to MEA is 54. We've had people as young as 30 and as old as 88, but about uh, 75% are between 45 and 65. So sometimes people say to me, well, but Chip, those are not elders. Like, they're, but you're right. I mean, they, they might be. I was an elder at Airbnb, no doubt about it, because rel- elder is an, a relative term. Mm. So relative to 26-year-old, I, I, I was an elder. But we're a prep school for elders. I mean, that's really the best way to describe it is... You know, we have, we have schools that help people uh, in adolescence prepare for adulthood. But we don't really have anything that helps people prepare for elderhood. And when I say elderhood, I don't mean el- being elderly, because elderly is probably the last five or ten years of your life. My parents are 84. I mean, they were just here in Galisteo on the Saddleback Ranch with me, and they loved it. And they are not elderly, but they're 84 years old. You'd think 84 is elderly. Well, they're very independent, and so... Elder, your elderhood period of your life may last 30 or 40 years. Mm-hmm. So how are we preparing for that? How are we distilling our wisdom? How are we giving back in new ways? How are we reimagining what I call same seed, different soil? What have you learned here, but how could you apply it there? Um, how are we making major changes in our life, in midlife and beyond? If we get stuck in where we've always been, it's around midlife that we start getting kicked around a lot by, by circumstances and realize something has to change. What do you do at Modern Elder Academy to keep that from happening to people? Well, so we have the four key tenets are sort of like core parts of our curriculum. So let's start by saying we're not just a retreat center. People come there and, yeah, they're in a retreat center. <clears throat> but we have a, an actual curriculum that was developed by UC Berkeley, Stanford, Yale uh, University uh, professors along with us. And the four key parts of it are, number one, mindset. 
how do you shift your mindset uh, around everything, but especially around aging? Because when a person shifts their mindset on aging, they actually, from a neutral or a negative to a positive, they get seven and a half years of additional life, mm. which is more life than, than if you actually started uh, working out or stopped, dr- stopped drinking. Well, that too. Yeah. <laughs> stopped um, smoking in uh, midlife. So, uh, so sh- helping people with mindset is one, number one. Number two is helping them with transitions. Understand the anatomy of a transition. If you're going to go through a transition in your life and you don't know that there's really three phases of a transition, the ending of something, the messy middle, and the beginning of something new, think of caterpillar, cocoon, butterfly. If you don't understand that, if you don't understand how to make it through that transition well, you, you can get stuck in a transition pretty, for a pretty long time and it doesn't feel good. Thirdly is regeneration, and that's why we're particularly interested in the ranch here. Um, how do you regenerate soil? Hmm. Uh, because regenerating the soil is a, a, a core part of cl- a climate change strategy. Because generally speaking, what a lot of people don't know is that farming and ranching often is depleting the soil if you don't do it in a way that is regenerative. And so um, we will be doing using regenerative ranching principles hmm. on the ranch, but it's regenerating the soil and the soul as well. I mean, how, do, how do we help people to sort of feel like by regenerating the soil, their soul is actually being uh, enlivened too, partly because they're giving back. <clears throat> and then the fourth uh, key tenet um, is uh, reframing elderhood. The idea of like, okay, what is elderhood? What is what is this era of life that m- nobody wants to aspire to? Or maybe maybe you do, John, but <laughs> most people don't because frankly, you know, when you're an adolescent sort of thinking, oh, I'm going to be an adult someday, you look forward to it. If you're an adult looking forward to being an elder, you don't necessarily do that in modern society. So what we help people with is with that, that frame, how do you go through our week-long program to help you feel repurposed? There's a guy named St- uh, Phil Pizzo from Stanford Medical School who's been very much a supporter of ours. And he's shown in his research that the three, people, three things people need after about age 45 or 50 more than anything else are purpose, wellness, and community. Mm. And those are the three things that really sort of undergird our, our program. Who is this available to well, it's available to anybody. I mean, truly, we have three programs. We have our MEA workshops, which we do in Baja now, and you know, in a couple of years, we'll be doing them here in the Galisteo Basin. We have something called sabbatical sessions, which is people coming for extended stay, much lighter programming. They're often working on their memoir, getting over their parents passing away, spending time reconnecting with their partner or spouse after you know becoming empty nesters. And then the third program is MEA Online, which is you can do from the you know comfort of your own home. It's an eight-week program. It's full of digital intimacy, and I don't mean porn. Um, <laughs> I mean digital intimacy. Thanks for the qualification. Yeah. Yeah. We're not in that business, no. Um, although that first hotel I bought in the, the Phoenix was... was the hourly rate? Right? Yeah. yeah, they did have a porn channel. Uh, I, that, didn't, I didn't want to say. Not but, my thing, not yeah. my thing. So uh, <laughs> we, those are the three ways you can play with us. The last one, MEA Online, is pretty affordable. It's $750, eight, eight-week program. We do have, have some scholarships there occasionally, too. The, ba- the, the workshop program in Baja, over half of our 1,500 people who've come have actually been on some form of scholarship. That's, that's what I wanted to ask, yeah. because I, I, I was thinking that this co- the cost of this could be Very really expensive. prohibitive. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, the last thing we want to do is create a, 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 another retreat center predominantly for rich people, which I was on the board of the Esalen Institute in Big Sur for 10 years. And I love Esalen, and Esalen has really tried to create more socioeconomic diversity, and they've had a challenge trying to do that. So 
instead, what we said from the very start, they, they started it later, and we started from the start and said, listen, we're going to have a lot of scholarships. And because when you're in a cohort of 20 people, we believe that wisdom is not taught, it's shared. Mm. So being in a cohort with a, a doctor and a elementary school teacher and a physical therapist and a CEO of a tech company who just sold the company, having those collection of people, I'll never forget, actually, there's a social worker from Atlanta. She was about four foot 11. She was very short, uh, African-American woman, uh, 62 years old. She had tons of purpose in her life, but very little money. Hmm. And then there was a really tall, white, 45-year-old from New York who was an investment banker who'd quit his job and has a lot of money, had a lot of money, but he had no purpose. <laughs> so they're like the they're sort of like the reciprocal of each other. Every morning they'd go for a walk on the beach. So in essence, they were doing a wisdom transfer between each other without even a, uh, sort of choreographing it. So that's really the reason we have you know a sizable amount of socioeconomic diversity in our program. Excellent. I was watching a, uh, a YouTube piece about the your place in Baja, mm-hmm. and I, I noted that. Uh, one of the uh, alums said that they had good food, there was water, and there was bad internet. <laughs> and, and of course, uh, th- yeah, that, that certainly... Sounds, that sounds familiar here, yeah, right? Yeah, that is, that, is, that is certainly the case uh, here in, in uh, Galisteo, certainly with the bad internet. Uh, and cell service. <laughs> yeah. Uh, food, of course, you know, New Mexican food, and then uh, the whole variety of, of food that's available because we're in Santa Fe. Water... Water's an issue here. For sure. Water's a big issue. And that, so let, let's, let's talk about yeah. you becoming a new neighbor and the issue of water because everyone yeah. is immediately thinking yeah. you're going to put an institute here and possibly other, other uh, facilities. Yep. What do we do about the water? Yeah, no, I totally, I hear you. And, and it's a, you know, a big consideration. So first of all, we'll have, we'll have an academy and then uh, and that's what we're focused on right now. And then in the future, some homes potentially. So number one is the regenerative ranching techniques that we're going to talk about is going to help to restore the water table. That's what it does. It's, it allows when there's the monsoon rains that we have here mm-hmm. in, in the Galisteo area, instead of it just running off, it actually goes into the soil and that actually helps to restore the water table. Also, you know, bringing back grasslands as mm-hmm. opposed to somewhat parched earth mm-hmm. um, will also be good. So that's one thing. We hired a, a local firm called Biohabitats that's actually helping us with all of this. Se- secondly, how do we actually build in a way that actually is um, eco-friendly and sustainable? and limiting the water usage. So we're not actually adding any swimming pools to the academy. I mean, people you know, expect, we have three swimming pools in Baja at our academy. We'll have no swimming pool here. You know, probably have a small hot tub because guess what? In the winter, you need it. Sure. And we have an existing pond that we're actually going to be figuring out a way to do some more water conservation. Mm. That's, so there's that. We've, we've committed to actually being at least maybe 20 to 30% below what's required. You know, so you get a water allocation here based upon you know, how many units you have. Right. And we have a pretty high water allocation. But instead of just using that water allocation, we're, we're committed to saying, okay, how can we reduce our water usage as much as possible? And there's a lot of ways you can do that through you know, uh, saving uh, rainwater uh, on the roof, et cetera. Mm. So totally get it. It's very important that we come here and actually are a good citizen. Um, I may live in Galisteo someday. So if I'm down, if, if I'm down Creek, down river from, uh, from the Academy, I want to make sure that, you know, we're not messing up the water 
here in Galisteo. So it's our number one thing we have to solve for. I, the three things that we know we've heard from, from people in the community are number one, water, water, water. Mm-hmm. <laughs> number two is trying to make sure that there's not much of a visual reference point to the academy or homes when you're driving up 41 and and the light pollution that goes with that. And then thirdly, how can we help be a supportive member of the community? You know, it's very sad what's happened with La Sala. How can we be supportive to saying, okay, well, if La Sala's not going to be in that building anymore, and maybe, hopefully it will be, but if it isn't, where could it be? How can we be supportive to that in terms of raising money for that, giving money for that? Um, and, you know, we talked a little, early, a little bit earlier about a potential art cafe or how, how, can, we, how, how can we help with the fire department, you know, mm-hmm, the volunteer mm-hmm. fire department in terms of, you know, uh, giving money for that. So we want to be a, a very positive influence. At some point, what we know is that property with 2,600 acres is someone was going to buy it. The people who owned it before us wanted to build these monster homes of about 10,000 square feet each. Mm-hmm. You know, if we build homes there, they're, on average, they're going to be about 2,000 square feet. So they'll be small and more in a village kind of environment mm-hmm. as opposed to, you know, what I like to call ranch acne, where you just throw a bunch of houses sort of like willy-nilly all over the property. I'm going to throw something out at you because it's going to come up at some point anyway. Yeah. And, and it was your involvement with uh, Tres Santos. Yeah. It certainly appears like it could be a blemish or something that would say, oh my gosh, well, Chip's coming up here and doing something similar in New Mexico. I want to give you the opportunity yeah. to say, hey, look, this is, this is the story and this is why this is not like yeah, that. Let's be, yeah, let's be clear. I, I wish I'd never said yes to being a very part-time <laughs> consultant to them. So that, I'll start with that. So about 10 years ago, I went down to Todos Santos and I was with two friends who had land down there. And I was a friend of theirs reached out to me and said, hey, you know, you, we know you're a longtime hotelier. You sold your company. Um, we have this property, a thousand acres, mo- mostly not on the beach, mostly in the desert and in the farmland. And we'd love to actually create a, a wellness community here. And could you help us? And so I said, yeah, sure. I'll, I'll brainstorm with you. And so I did for free, you know, no, no cost. And I did that on that trip. And then I went down there maybe three months later, again, about 10 years ago. Start talking with them more, and then three months after that, I said, "Okay, yeah, if if you want to keep you know tapping into my brain with some some suggestions of what you could do in terms of creating a wellness community here, um, yeah, I'll I'll be a part time consultant ten hours a month." So that's what I did, and I did that for about three years, and I had really grand aspirations for what they could do with this place because it was they're very much giving back to the community. They gave Colorado State University a campus there. Mm. And I was like, okay, well, that's, that's a good thing because that campus is actually helping to integrate the locals who are learning English with the people from Colorado State who wanted to actually learn Spanish. And we're helping with veterinarian and um, agricultural uh, new principles to introduce to the local people. But at some point, about two years into me consulting, and again, 10 hours a month, I was not happy with their lack of transparency. Mm on some of what they were going to do. We knew they were going to do a desol plant uh, for water, which you know means that they're taking seawater sea in, but they weren't actually talking about how they're going to do it. They were doing, you're using a, a technology that's well, well regarded, but they weren't talking enough. So I started complaining to them and started saying, you better be, you know, I'm not the developer. I'm not an investor. I have nothing to do with you other than give you 10 hours a month. 
I think you better do a better job of communicating. And they didn't, and so I quit. Mm. And when I quit, you know, a lot of the people locally were very happy I quit because I was high profile, but not involved in as an investor or a developer. So, so that's it. And there's a there's the you know I I, I know lots of people in Galaceo saw have uh, seen the the film Patrimonio, right? Mm. <clears throat> and the Patrimonio, you know, I'm in that for a very short time at the start of the movie because I was actually in New York giving a, a talk to a bunch of people who are looking as wellness entrepreneurs if they wanted to to go down there. And that was way before I got to the point where I said, listen, I'm quitting this project. But I have had zero involvement with the project for over six years. Ultimately, the only thing I really had an involvement with is there's a hotel there on the beach, mm. 30 rooms, and Liz Lambert, very well-known, Austin-based boutique hotelier, bunkhouse hotels. She built a hotel there with them called Hotel San Cristobal, which I'm not involved in other than just making the introduction. So I think for people who are thinking, first of all, I would welcome people to come down to Baja to see our campus. Our campus is about eight miles away from the Tres Santos project. It's not involved in it. And, you know, we're very involved in the local community. Uh, We bought a a fire truck for the community because the volunteer fire department didn't have a fire truck. Mm -hmm. Um, So have done that, have given, we're, we're actively involved in the Zero Waste Alliance in terms of how we create a zero waste community there. We have 30 families during the pandemic when we had to shut down for obvious reasons. We paid everybody for you know six and a half months when there was basically no business. So I would say for someone who's worried about us or me particularly, look at my history, look at the philanthropic awards I've gotten and things like that. I say that not because I usually talk about that, but because at this point, I want people to see the full picture mm-hmm. um, as opposed to just this little clip in a, a film that lasts, the clip lasts 20 seconds. And uh, to your credit, you've been meeting, uh, you and your partners have been meeting regularly with the Galisteo Community Association yes. Board. And yeah. uh, so I, I'm sure these questions have come up there as well. And, yeah, and I, you know, if I were someone who's lived here a short time or a long time, and there's a big property like that that comes along, I'm going to want to do my due diligence to say, who the hell are these people? Mm-hmm. And are they trustworthy? And so bottom line is the best thing I can do, as I've said to many people, is show up, listen, and then you know tell the truth. Mm-hmm. And that's all I'm doing. And I'm hanging out with some Galisteo people tonight. I'm doing it again tomorrow night. And I do it also partly because you know for me... Getting a flavor of the local community is what I've always tried to do as a boutique hotelier. A a great boutique hotel is really just a reflection of its community. Mm. And I think that's true for MEA as well. So how can we give back? If we're going to have horses as as an integral part of our program, how do we connect with horse horse people in the area and, and get to know them? How do we connect with regenerative farmers and ranchers for what we're doing there as well? Let's talk about the future. So what do you see? How do you see this unfolding? Well... I, you know, crossing our fingers by 2023, we would actually, probably the second half of 2023, uh, about a year, uh, two years from now, we would be open and we would have a two workshop centers there um, right around two of the existing homes. So for those who don't know Saddleback Ranch, I, first of all, I look forward to having locals come and open house come and see the property because frankly none of the past owners have ever let anybody in um so there's two there's four homes over overall two of them two of them are visible from the highway you know and and that our goal is to make sure you know whatever we're building isn't visible i don't know if that'll be perfectly the case with everything but the vast majority for sure so number number one is there's two homes down toward the creek they're actually elevated 
and not, now they're not near the creek, but they're you know on the bluff above them. And we'll we'll actually that's where the workshop center will be. So we'll have two workshops each week, two different themes, twenty people per workshop, so forty people total. So our our total number of people coming for workshops will be actually a good bit less than for some of the other retreat centers in mm. the area. So there's other retreat centers that have a far less land that, than we do that actually um, have greater capacities in terms of how many people they come to come to programs. And then for the homes, it's just going to take a while. That, that'll be a community process, very community-defined process with the county and with Galisteo. And while we're only required to have one uh, count, uh, community meeting, we're going to have three or four to just almost create a charrette design process for the community to help us to determine what makes sense for the homes. All right. As we're winding up, final thoughts, Chip. Well, final thoughts is, I mean, for, for me, learning about Galisteo has been fascinating. I've gotten to know Judy and Philip very well and, uh, and, and a bunch of other artists here. Um, I actually bought some art from Catherine. She had her little you know, watercolor stand in front of her home mm-hmm. the other day. That was really great. I was Catherine Flanagan. I, I think the fact that, you know, there's a, there's a, a survey, that, survey that was done a couple of years ago, which was who are the most famous American artists of the 20th century. And the fact that a handful of the, some of the most famous American artists of the 20th century have lived here and some still do mm-hmm. um, is to me a testament to the soul of this place. So I, you know, having been on the advisory board of the San Francisco Art Institute, having been the vice president of the board of the San Francisco Center for the Arts, and having been a studio artist myself in college, I mean, the fact that I'm coming back to a place that is full of artists is and rebels <laughs> and writers. I love writing. I've written five books. I, this is a place that I'm looking forward to grow old in. It, you, you, and I think everyone else who chooses to be here. So, <laughs> uh, good, good choice, Chip. I want to thank you for coming in today and for your candor and uh, your openness. And um, we look forward to hearing more about the Modern Elder Academy and what you're doing there. Thank you. It's good to be here, John. For Radio Free Galisteo, I'm John Shannon. Radio Free Galisteo is listener supported, and I'd like to thank all of our Patreon supporters for making today's podcast possible. You, too, can become a supporter of Radio Free Galisteo by going to www.radiofreegalisteo.com and clicking on our Patreon support button and following the instructions there. For Radio Free Galisteo, I'm John Shannon.